Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview Jesse Wright, the CEO of Balance the Bar. Jesse is an NBA veteran. His career has spanned over two decades in the team sports culture, including working with organizations in the NBA, uh, such as the Philadelphia Sixers. He also worked in the NFL and CAA and in private sports training. He's also an Amazon best-selling author, coach, and public speaker. So, Jesse, welcome to the show. Julian, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation and uh, reach out to your your uh, um, your wide audience. So, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate uh, appreciate your time. Thank you for your your comments. So. Hey, Jesse, what I want to talk to you about today is first, we'll talk about your background in elite sports, and then we'll discuss your approach towards innovation and load management and injury reduction. And then we'll discuss also your favorite technologies that you've come across, uh, as well as what you would build if you had unlimited resources. And then lastly, we also talk about, uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on the best coaches and players that you had a chance to work with. And then lastly, we'll talk about your book and your master course. So how does it sound? That sounds like a great plan. Great. So, uh, Jesse, uh, just to begin with, for the audience, so could you tell us about your background, especially in elite sports? Sure. Yeah. The last team that I worked for was the the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA. I was with them for 14 years. Nine of those years were as the head strength and conditioning coach. And then five, I I was in a role titled director of performance science. So two, you know, sort of different contributions to the team in my time mm-hmm. there, but both, both, you know, in, in the medical and performance space, for sure. Um, prior to that, I worked in a, a number of different sports and sort of uh, team environments. Uh, I was mm-hmm. actually introduced, I was actually introduced to the 76ers from a, uh, a contract. When I was yep. working in the private sector, I spent my first couple of years as a consultant for the team. Yep. And that private facility had a, a couple different strength and conditioning contracts, but we primarily focused on middle school through high school aged athletes from a, a development mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. Uh, and then, pri- and then prior to that, I was in American football with a couple different organizations. I worked in NFL Europe for the Barcelona Dragons for a year, and Hofstra University, a small mm-hmm. uh, university located in Long Island in New York, and uh, started off as an undergrad going way back. Uh, a bunch of years ago at Temple University uh, as an undergraduate strength and conditioning coach and worked with a number of sports there. So uh, it's been a, it's been a fun run for sure. A lot of a lot of uh, diversity in terms of sports and opportunities and team environments. And I've been fortunate to, to work with a lot of great people and have a lot of really uh, incredible experiences. So I'm thankful. That's great. And by the way, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Butler. Uh, and also mm-hmm. I've watched the movie Hustle about uh, mm-hmm. Adam Sandler and uh, the, the Sixers, right? So 
It was kind of Correct, fun to yeah. watch that. So I'm sure you can relate to that a bit. Yeah, no, um, they did a nice job profiling the city in that movie. Most of the scenes were shot all around Philadelphia and and even yeah. in some gyms and environments that, uh, again, I've had the, the fortunate chance to, you know, train guys in and work and everything. So it was a an awesome movie, but also a good snapshot of, uh, of the Philly basketball scene. For sure. Uh, hey, uh, my next question for you is, you know, there's a lot of innovation out there, right? Uh, as far as technology mm -hmm. and techniques. So what is your approach towards innovation in general? Yeah, and you're right. What a, what a huge, expansive, ever-expanding area is this sports tech space and innovation. There's just so many options. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think the first part of it, uh, I think it starts with uh, awareness. And so it's sort of awareness in two areas. Number one, yeah. it's, it's a, a recognition and awareness of the, the problems that you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Why would you seek to innovate in the first place? You know, what, what yeah. are the issues and challenges that your organization or your team are dealing with? Uh, and then secondly, maybe even more importantly, is, is the awareness of what's out there that's trying to tackle that problem. Because mm -hmm. you don't really you don't really have innovation if you are not sort of pushing boundaries past what's already out there. So what are you trying to solve and what are the existing solutions? Mm -hmm. And then from there, and then from there, I, I started, this is sort of, um, you know, a borrowed concept. We know as, as performance people, strength and conditioning coaches, we love stealing other people's ideas, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and then repurposing them, right? Lateral thinking. Yep. So um, I, I like the, the Van Mecklen injury management model back from the early 90s. Uh, Willem mm -hmm. von Mecklen sort of, you know, formalized this, but it, it's the, the injury management model. Uh, and the four corners that says, you know, first you have to obviously establish the incidence of the injury. What is the etiology? Sort of where did it come from? You mm -hmm. introduce your preventive, you introduce your preventative strategy, and then you assess the effectiveness of that strategy. Mm -hmm. And in a number, in a number of different areas and talks I've given in the last couple of years, I've borrowed from that model and repurposed it. And I think you can do that when you are talking about how or why you innovate. Certainly, um, my approach, my personal approach to innovation. Uh, and then just kind of if you think about those four corners, it's like, what, what are the problems we're trying to solve? Uh, what is the history of the existing solutions? What's mm -hmm. out there and how, how successful has it been? Where, you know, what worked and what didn't? Where did things really excel and where did things fall down and have a really kind of clear understanding of that yeah um and then what is the new thing what what are we trying to introduce that we think could be an improvement over what's mm -hmm. out there uh and then at some point in the future in a responsible amount of time uh, a debrief you know an assessment did what we introduced actually work did it accomplish what it is we were we were seeking out um, and if you follow those four corners, again, it goes to an injury management model, but you can apply that in a number of different ways. But I think it, I think it's a, a pretty cool little snapshot uh, of how someone would approach uh, why or how you would innovate in the first place. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah go ahead. No, I was going to say uh, just one last thought, because I think it's an important one. I, I think innovation takes real courage as well. Um, to, to be the person that raises their hand or the team or the organization that raises their hand and says, you know what, uh, we would like to do something different than what mm -hmm. we've done. 
And it would, you know, you've been there. It involved proposals and requests mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe looking at budget items and shifting from the, the cultural norms and, you know, dealing with the people that have a hard time with that, right? The dinosaurs yeah. out there that want, that want to do things the way they've always been done. So mm -hmm. innovation isn't easy. Innovation is not easy. There's a, you need a sense of adventure and sort of a, a strength and an endurance to like push yeah. past and see to the end of whatever your new idea mm -hmm. is. Um, and I think that's a really important piece when you talk about anyone's approach to introducing new thoughts or ideas, um, and one that one that can't be overlooked. I agree, and and uh, some organization, some teams are not open to that. They're like more mm -hmm. like this is what has been done for many years. We're not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. um, but that reminds me of a conversation I had with, uh, and I think you, you know Bill Burgos, right? Uh, yeah. And it, when I had a podcast with Bill, it was like the importance of communicating, right, to the staff. So let's say once we adopt the technology, you have to also remember what are the goals, what are you trying to achieve? And then as you're adopting those technologies, could just communicate to a lot, you know, a lot of team members because you know, that's important for them to understand it uh, and also mm -hmm. to get the buy-in from the teams, right? Because if mm -hmm. you don't communicate on what you're using, uh, if you don't remind people this is what we found you know, using this and that, uh, you know, sometimes people, I mean, things kind of fall through the cracks, right? They don't use it anymore, Absolutely. right? So yep. communicate. Yep. Uh, no, it's, it's, the, it's the nature of collaboration, right? I mean, high performance yeah. teams are exactly that. It's, it's a number of um, people that are very capable of doing their role for the team. Mm -hmm. And when you introduce something new that maybe alters the landscape of how you do things, I, I can't yeah. agree with Bill Moore. Uh, you need to include people, you know, maybe as early as the decision-making process. Like, can this help mm -hmm. our team? And the communication starts there. And then when it's woven into the fabric of operations of the team, that everybody's very aware that we're using it and they're very aware of, you know, the data that you're pulling or, you know, yeah. how it might be, how it might be influencing how we do things. There's so many people involved in that process. They all need to know. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. That makes sense. So, hey, the next topic I want to discuss was, so load management, right? And injury reduction. Mm -hmm. I did say injury reduction. I didn't say injury prevention, which I think. Yep. Some vendors are saying, "Hey, I can prevent injuries." No, you can't. Um, no, and you know, I, and, and load management. You know, with the story Kawhi Leonard, I remember like a few years a few years ago, there was so, so mm -hmm. much controversy about this, right? Um, mm -hmm. What is your approach towards load management and injury reduction? Yeah, well, at, at my core and at my roots, you're you're speaking with a strength and conditioning coach. So I, yeah. I usually look at this first from a weight room perspective, and um, I, I do believe that you have to, you know, a, a strong frame, a frame that's ability to to produce and resist force, uh, is a less injured one. So I think you you have to, from that perspective, um, from a from just a pure strength component, uh, an injury risk reduction model absolutely includes a, a, a consistent approach in the weight room, stable mobile joints where appropriate. You know, some need to be both, some need to be you know mobile, some need to be stable. But you know, attention to that. Of course, you're always the neuromuscular component is always mm -hmm. a piece of it. Um, but I don't think any of those ever trump and they're right alongside the importance of just pushing and pulling heavy weight um, to build, you know, to add strength to the frame for sure. That's always yeah. the first perspective for me. Um, 
when you really talk about sort of the larger, you know, call it protocols or systems for that and everything, I, I think you really, again, you understand the demands of the sport. What are the standards? What are the mean values? What, what's expected when we go out and we play? And you understand mm-hmm. that from a volume perspective, from an intensity perspective, whether you're gathering that from technology or, you know, the gut feel subjective, you know, coaches perspective that, you know, just have a feel for the game. Mm-hmm. But that's your baseline where you begin to start preparing for those demands yeah. once once you understand them, um, not the least of which, you know, the psychological, the emotional perspective and, you know, all of that that enters into that. Those are real. And then from there, as you're preparing for it, it's like we like the dinner switch. We don't like flicking the light on. We like slow, responsible progressions. And mm-hmm. you avoid those spikes. You know, when you have big spikes, bad things happen. You know, we know that. I'm not really saying anything that isn't known or super genius, but the execution of it doesn't always happen in the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that that you have the the information and the knowledge, maybe the data, but it, but certainly the understanding that that in order to really build resilient athletes, we need to build them responsibly and slow and lead them towards, lead them towards the demands of the sport, which we understand very clearly. Um, all that being said, you know, you can't control the spikes. You know, spikes do happen. That's the nature mm-hmm. of team sport. Um, injuries happen that all of a sudden create a, a hole in the roster and you have to throw a guy mm-hmm. in that maybe, maybe necessarily wasn't prepared. Or double overtime games happen, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden we had the, you know, these extra minutes that happen. So, you know, also the, um, the knowledge to respond to that unexpected spike, you know, well, you know, so you're looking backwards at what happened and you're looking forward at what's coming and you're able to, uh, to adjust those plans uh, accordingly. Um, And then a big piece of that, not, not, you know, sort of piggyback on maybe what Bill said is, um, do you have the relationships and the communication strategies in place to influence those decisions for all the people that are making all the plans, yeah. whether it's the, the, the coaching staff that's planning out the, the volume and intensity of practice, or even the people that plan logistics and the timing and the flights and hotels you stay in and everything. Do you have the relationships in place to influence that kind of stuff? Cause it all factors into that big old mm-hmm. pot of soup that, that is load yeah. management for sure. Um, so I think that's my answer. A little bit longer. Okay, that but, makes sense. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, on a side note, you know, I went to the uh, NBA draft in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was mm-hmm. last week. I mean, mm-hmm. me, like the big thing was Wemby, right? Uh, there's so much hype about mm-hmm. it. And I saw yeah. a video of a trainer from the Spurs training with him in the gym. Like he was so skinny. And everybody talks about the fact that he's got to get, you know, put some muscle, right? Mm-hmm. And he came out in the news and say, I don't, it's okay to be skinny, right? I mean, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But what if you were the Spurs, like what would you do, I guess, um, with Wemby, right? To make sure that slowly, mm-hmm. you know, he's getting stronger. But you don't want him overnight him to become like so big. You know yeah. what I mean? You, mm-hmm. It's it must be tough, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, we know caloric surplus and a lot of time in the weight room. It's a yeah. it's a sim, it's a simple formula, right? Yeah. And then it's just a and then it's just a matter of over time. Uh, and I would think based on, you know, sort of the narrative about him that he's a, a true pro and has a great work yeah. ethic and a high character guy and all of that, that you put him in an environment that you can, again, slowly and responsibly add mass to his frame that that isn't mm-hmm. counterproductive to his game. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that and, and that is, um, you know, the best the best body modification programs are one that you can sustain over the long term. So for him, it's like put put him in a high calorie environment, right? Dietitian is going to play a huge role yeah. in that for sure. 
and uh, and consistent strength training. You know that that's going to help him. It's again, it, the formula isn't complicated. It's just sort yeah. of the, the the commitment to doing it over and over. Um, cause that's not, you know, that's not an easy thing with all the dynamics that go into yeah. an NBA season and an international player that could be back and forth yeah. between two, you know, multiple countries and all that stuff. That's a, you know, could become a compli- complicated formula, but I yeah. think the two things that, that have to remain core, uh, is, you know, consistent time in the weight room and the, and a caloric surplus. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, Hey, next yeah. question is what are your, the favorite technologies that you've come across over the years? Which, which one would you say are your favorite ones? Yeah, well, I, I don't think any recent tech answer or discussion can't include uh, artificial intelligence, right? And machine mm-hmm. learning, it's just, it's out there. It's, it's literally almost every day sort of in your face and can potentially influence how you do things, whether you're talking, you know, chat GPT answering questions or creating copy for you or something like that, or just, you know, giving you a new perspective. Um, or any of the machine learning items out there and pose rendering that are looking at, you know, different ways that athletes perform mm-hmm. on a field or a court and giving you real, real data. Um, so that that's certainly one of them that's interesting. And who knows where yeah. that's even going to evolve in, in, in the short term, let alone long term. Um, Two, two that I have had recent engagement with with projects, and you know, full disclosure, I'm an advisor mm-hmm. for one of these, but I, I yeah. think it would be interest. I think it would be interesting to me, to me regardless, um, is uh, a product called Coolmit, and it, it takes advantage mm-hmm. of of um, cooling, uh, dropping your body's core temperature through the palm, which physiologically, uh, there's three parts of your body that are sort of designed to dump heat efficiently, mm-hmm. and you know simple concept you just cool the palm of your hand and palmer uh, cooling for thermoregulation is out there in the research it has been for a long time so this mm-hmm. company just happened this company just happened to to come up with a product that can do that and can do it fairly practically you know small yeah. device and su- super simple to use uh the reason i cite that in response to your question is because it it, it can have a huge impact on on late game and late training outcomes Mm-hmm. And I forgot again, since since sort of digging in and and becoming involved, um, you know, you forget about the 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 real nuanced details of, of physiology. You know, as a as a practitioner, like again, you don't you you don't leave it behind completely, but you mm-hmm. don't really have to. You don't really, you know, when you're designing programs in a weight room as a as a strength and conditioning coach at any level, you're you're not really referencing the enzymes of the Krebs cycle, right? And and <laughs> looking mm-hmm. at the glycolytic pathway every single day, you're very aware of it. It influences your your conditioning programs for sure and your yeah. energy system development. But you know, you just don't really have to dig in on that level. So I say all that because I sort of forgot how big of an impact the accumulation of heat can have within mm-hmm. your body on, on fatigue and making you yeah. you know tired, tired, right? Either locally within your musculature or systemically. So the opportunities to control that and mitigate, mitigate the accumulation of heat in your body is, is a super powerful intervention uh, that mm-hmm. this company, you know, happens to do. And yeah. I can't really think, I can't really think of, um, I, I can only think of one other sort of practical in-game solution that you can use, mm-hmm. right, effectively without interrupting the flow of what sort of mm-hmm. a normal game or a normal sideline would have that can potentially delay fatigue and, and keep you going late. I mean, in-game carbohydrate supplementation is really the only thing that, that I can think of mm-hmm. um, that, can, that can keep you going late in a game. Um, mm-hmm. 
And this product just happens to give you that opportunity if you're using it during half times or baseball is using it in dugouts yeah. in between, you know, when they're when they're at the plate or um, player gets subbed out right in rotations and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're able to come over and just use this thing literally on the sideline uh, and can yeah. hopefully delay delay fatigue and keep you fresh in the game. Um, so that that that's one of them. Um, and then the other one is, um, you know, again, this is influential in the basketball world, the world I came from, it's, you know, the, the shot tracking technologies that are out there or, or any of the, the computer vision, um, yeah. that are relying on, that are relying on cameras to capture data. Um, yeah. the shot tracking systems, we, we had one. Brother, that we used. You know these guys? <laughs> there you go. Yep. There you go. Uh, yep. You don't need a camera for that. No, uh, no. In, in so. Information inside the ball and giving you real, yeah. But the, the reason, right, we like technologies that make our jobs easier, right? Make, make, yeah. existing, make existing needs a lot more effective or efficient to capture. So, you know, the, the world I grew up in in basketball had a bunch of people off on the side, usually student managers or video mm -hmm. people or low, lower level coaches. Uh, and they're watching shots the whole time and they're yeah. tracking makes they're tracking makes and misses. They're doing their best to track where it came from and spots on the floor and everything. And yeah. all of a sudden, all of a sudden depth cameras come in and they mm -hmm. sweep in or computer vision. And it's like, oh, my God, all I have to do is turn the camera on and I can get all of that and yeah. a lot more deep and a lot more detail. So it's altered, you know, coaching and how people, sh you know, do shot or, uh, coach mm -hmm. shot mechanics. And it's, it's freed people up to do a lot, yeah. you know, to, to potentially do a lot more influent different influential work to contribute yeah. to team initiatives. Um, so those th those types of things, again, I, I, maybe the bigger category is computer vision because um, mm -hmm. it's capturing information without, you know, wearing a sensor and without, you know, literally just, yeah. just flicking it on. Um, and then gives you a chance to do a much better job than you know before when it didn't exist. So that makes sense. I'm a big fan of computer vision. Um, yeah, you know whether it's for sports or industrial purposes, I think it's it's the mm -hmm. future. Um, yeah. So hey, uh, the next question is uh, so you know you're obviously a best-selling author, right? You got a book titled "The The Intent Is to Grow." Mm -hmm. So two questions: Can you can you tell us a bit more about the book and also in the book, right? So you introduced a pretty unique communication model wrote it biomechanics and with a high level of relevance to high performance sports. So could you talk about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the, the, the sort of the root purpose behind the book goes back sort of years for me when yeah. uh, I would speak, I would speak with young up and coming coaches, right? This is, you know, I'm, I'm years into the league and we all get yeah. these questions, you know, Hey, how did you get to the league? Can you talk to me about your path? And what would I need to do? This is a young coach speaking. What would I need to do to maybe work in the league someday? Right. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a whole list of things that, that would go into that answer. But but I, inevitably, the conversations would always shift to sort of the human being that you are as a coach. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the opportunity, you know, the the ability to connect the job as a strength coach at the pro level is so much less about writing a program. Yeah. And it's and it's so much more about how you carry yourself each and every day and the relationships yeah. you build with people, not only the athletes you train, but your colleagues. Your I know teammates. Bill, Bill is big on that. Bill is big on yeah, that it's yeah. yeah. Any, anybody that spent any amount of time in the field knows mm -hmm. that. And that's yeah. sort of where I'm going with this. It's like early on in our career, we're like hot and heavy on letters behind our name and technical knowledge mm -hmm. and certs and advanced degrees and PhD, you know, all of that stuff. And then you spend time in the field and you're like, that stuff is absolutely important for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the interpersonal side is equally as important to, you know, at least yeah. in terms of having, having lasting impact. 
So that's sort of the reason for the book. That's that's the story of the book. It's a, it's a business parable. It's a novel that tells the story of a young strength and conditioning coach, 23 years old, just landed his first graduate assistantship at a, at a fictional Division One university. Mm-hmm. And this university, this university recognizes that truth that I just named, that interpersonal skills are incredibly mm-hmm. important to develop. Yeah. And they've created they've created a first week orientation program all around that. That this new strength that this new GA strength coach is now introduced to six different mentors mm-hmm. in his fir- in his first week orientation program, and they each teach him a different attribute. That's a, that's all tied to you know the long list of soft skills that we know are important as high performance mm-hmm. practitioners. Um, and it's told through a story, and I purposely sort of outline the character profiles and you know the main characters for people that have worked in high performance sport environments. Mm-hmm. Call it athletic trainers, call it sports scientists, strength and conditioning coaches, dietitians, physios, um, for them to sort of be able to place themselves in the same rooms. And in the and in the bodies and the characters of the people that you meet, um, to be able to say, you know what, I went through that. I remember that exact scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and looking back, maybe I didn't handle it well, or or looking back yeah. as you know, in, compa- in comparison to the story in the book, maybe I did handle it well. You know, so it teaches leadership, and it teaches communication, and it teaches self awareness, and it teaches emotional intelligence, but it teaches yeah. it through through the eyes of you know a business parable, a story with a high level of relevance to to high yeah. performance sport. So, no, yeah. a good book. I mean, it's not a definitely an interesting book. I'd be happy to mm-hmm. uh, recommend it. Uh, hey, the next yeah. question is: I know you've got so you've got the book, but you also have you just released a master course, right? Called the next great mm-hmm. teammate, the next great leader. So. What is the course about and and who should be interested in this right who should sign up for the course yeah well it's it's a good lead in after the book because that was sort of my my progression as i as i made the decision to sort of launch this type of information to the world in the way that i thought mm-hmm. would be powerful my grand plan was book and then course afterward mm-hmm. so the same attributes that are in the book are magnified on a large scale in the course Right. Mm-hmm. So the book is like introduce them and, you know, again, with the relevance and sort of the uh, maybe the interesting perspective that I that I hope I can use that word within the book. Yeah. And and then the and then the master course is teaching it. How can you grow those skills in line with literature? There's a lot of literature borrowed from other industries and other worlds that I found yeah. in my research for designing the course. And then, you know, we know, of course, we love the foundation of literature and all of the smart people that, you know, spent time studying this stuff. But then the practical application stuff is really powerful. How can I take that and how can I apply it in the world that I'm in, in training rooms, in weight rooms, in meeting rooms, in kitchens and, you know, team meeting environments and everything. So that's where the practical side comes in. And I draw from my, you know, over two decades of experience in team sport. And that's where all the practical application comes from. You know, again, high level of relevance, where it's not just talking about these sort of, you know, vague, anonymous or um, maybe um, inappropriate isn't the word. Just sort of like vague examples of how to apply it. But you're actually Mm -hmm. talking about how would you apply it as a dietitian? How how would you apply this as a sports scientist that has to walk into a that has to walk into a coach's office and present a report that you're hoping will influence a loading recommendation later that mm-hmm. day. 
Um, and that's real stuff. That's real world stuff that I really tried to build into the course. And it's one of those where, you know, you and I as crusty veterans, right? We're, we're years into our careers. It's one of those mm -hmm. where a lot of the, a lot of the information, certainly the practical stuff is, is things that I would have loved someone to tell me back when I was 23. Yeah. Sure. Right. That, that's it's sort of the reason I did the book, and definitely the reason I did the course. So mm -hmm. it's targeted targeted towards younger, high performance professionals. Certainly, everybody can benefit. But um, if you are to answer your question directly, if you are a younger, high performance sport professional, you desire to be a team sport practitioner. Again, mm -hmm. any one of those disciplines, or a personal trainer, or somebody that works in the private sector, that that that's the target for sure. I'd say a twenty to thirty two ish year old. Uh, type person that would really benefit from this information and the way it's taught. That's great. Uh, we'll definitely uh, make sure to put a link to that. So a okay, next question is, if you had unlimited resources, financially, engineering resources, what types of tech would you build and why? Yeah, I love, I love the idea. And again, not my idea. This is, you know, you have so many conversations with smart people over the years. And I remember really influential gentlemen in my circle that that talked about this concept of um, sort of like a um, a consistent monitoring environment, but no one sort of, know, everybody's aware that it's going on, but nobody has to really think about it. Okay. So, so you have a building or you have a, you have certain rooms in your training facility or something where you just walk in and you, you know, you're not hiding anything, right? There's no secrets yeah. or anything like that. You know, everybody's aware that this stuff is there, but you don't have to do much to code to capture data. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, think, think of, you know, the difference between a wearable sensor, a GPS mm -hmm. unit, which, you know, there's a real interaction that has to come from someone giving that sensor to an athlete yeah. and placing it placing it on their person and i was that person right for the sixers for a bunch of years yep. so i'm speaking i'm speaking sort of from a, an experience perspective where you know there, there's a there's a confrontation in that moment if an athlete isn't comfortable with wearable technology right yeah. maybe maybe would if if otherwise not asked to do it maybe they would choose against it so you have mm -hmm. to introduce it to them and then you know obviously the whole process of teaching them about how how the data is used and everything so how cool would it be? How cool would it be if you had unlimited resources to just build a world where you can monitor and track without that yeah. interaction needed? Um, yeah. That you walk, that you walk again. Computer vision, sort of the great example, right? Your wire, your building's wired to capture, you know, again, loading data, basketball specific movement pattern data during practice without people even knowing it, and and still as as accurate and reliable and valid, right? You know, that's obviously yeah. a big key. Um, could you capture? you know, information about hydration in an instrumented mm -hmm. urine, urinal, right? Which I, yeah. which are out there, right? Um, artificial intelligence doing that right now with, you know, the pose rendering and the camera tracking. Mm -hmm. um, many other examples, you know what I mean? Can you capture sleep and recovery information just by laying in a, an instrumented bed or a pod that you have mm -hmm. or, so, you know, like all of those types of yeah. things where you're, gather, you're gathering all of the information that would be useful from a practitioner perspective and helpful to inform decisions yeah. without, you know, without really having to affect the athletes. I think that would be pretty cool if, if I had the, uh, if I had unlimited resources. But I, I think we're getting there. I love the idea. Yeah. And like I remember a few years ago, I was working for this Israeli company that built a tiny radar, a radar, right? That we put into mm -hmm. a strap of this watch. It would measure with no contact the blood pressure and the heart rate and the mm -hmm. sleep data. So 
Like to your point, you know, and there's already companies like that who actually do that. They put the technology into the wall, or maybe they put mm -hmm. it in a on a device, and it tracks your mm -hmm. sleep, tracks your heart rate. You, you know, it's there, but you, you don't have to do anything. Yep. So yep. I think we're getting there. And for me, yeah. like the interesting piece is the biometric data. That's the most interesting thing for me. Uh, yeah. I think that's can you capture it act can you capture it accurately you know information well, that's the thing that right so trust. i mean yeah. the blood pressure with no contact to the skin with an algorithm and a radar good luck because mm -hmm. we had this working in the lab but it was never working you know real mm -hmm. i mean really effectively in the real world yeah so mm -hmm. that's the, the the accuracy right it's tough um yeah so uh hey uh last question is you work with a lot of you know great coaches and players right uh, for mm -hmm. example, I know you mentioned the other day Jimmy Butler, right? Or even Joel. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the best coaches and players that you work with and why? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with qualities and then, you know, certainly um, can, can mention some names as well because, you know, these, these uh, um, yeah. I think there's these athletes and people would be, would be, um, That's you know, fair. they know who yeah. they are and they know they're very good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the best coaches I've worked for, for sure. Um, I, I'd put two sort of labels on them. Great communicators and great conductors, you know, not unlike, you know, unbelievable communicators, you know, both receiving information and listening as well mm -hmm. as passing it along, either it's in front of a team or, you know, working with, you know, people like us in, in, in the medical and performance. Uh, and then as a conductor, right, they're, they're, they're CEOs of their world, not only the mm -hmm. team of people that they coach, they have assistant coaches, they have staff, they have tons of people that are always um, in front of them asking for their time, asking for their mm -hmm. counsel, asking for their advice and their ear, uh, and they manage that very well. They allow people to do their jobs well, they step in when necessary, they make the final call when necessary, but, but fair and open to listening to counsel and advice. Um, I've worked with, you know, I, you know, not a long list of those coaches, but many, you know, mm -hmm. all of the, all of them in my time uh, in the NBA were great. Brett Brown was the last coach that I worked for with the 76ers. He was awesome. Mm -hmm. Doug Collins was amazing. I yeah. uh, started off under Maurice Cheeks. I, all of those, all three of those are ones that I would wire that way. In addition to sort of general managers and presidents that were like that as well. Um, in terms of players, you know, the one standout quality amongst a, a long list, but, mm -hmm. you know, the routine, the routine guys, you know, guys that come in and they have this sort of professional profile where they know exactly what it took to get them to the level that they're at and to mm -hmm. a really high level of play and performance and competition. And they're very, very uh, adamant about sticking to that routine and that system and that process, like almost to a point where if you, if you are a part of the, uh, of the system that gets in the way of that, mm -hmm. they, they, they call you out on it. Right. And there's, like there's a that. real problem. There's a real problem yeah. with that. Right. Don't interrupt my breakfast time. This is when mm -hmm. I eat on a game day. Right. Yeah. Make sure you make sure you have my caffeine available at this time, because I take this at the same time before every single game. And this is yep. my livelihood. And, you know, and I worked with a lot of guys like that. And, and, and in one hand, in the moment, you're like, God, I don't like that. He just chewed my ass. Yeah. But you were, you can't help but respect it. You can't help but respect it. And um, th those are the guys that I think, you know, I, I would take them any day of the week to train and to work with and to win with. Um, you know, the ones that come to mind, probably more veteran guys. Now, many of them have been, you know, kind of come and gone in the NBA, but the ones that stand out, Elton Brand, Andre Iguodala, JJ Redick, 
Willie yeah. Green and Kevin. Some of these guys are working in the league right now, either coaches in front office and everything. But those are the guys that I had the fortunate opportunity to work with. Uh, and then recent ones that are still playing, Tobias Harris comes to mind. You know, Joel is very, very yeah. um, uh, routine with many of his many of his habits and all that stuff. So, you know, you mentioned some guys, too, as well. They, uh, you know, Jimmy is definitely on that list. And those yeah. are those are ones that anybody around them would call them real professionals because of how they how they go about their approach to their craft. Yeah, and no, a very good point. And um, it reminds me of uh, Novak Djokovic, right? The tennis player. Mm-hmm. It's like he's gonna sleep at this time. He's gonna eat at this time. He's gonna do this. I mean, it's just like mm-hmm. almost like madness for some people. But that's mm-hmm. just the way yeah. they they like things to be. So mm-hmm. you know, don't yep. try to disrupt their routine because they don't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, it's important to them. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so look, we we at the end of the podcast, but I really wanted to uh, thank you for your time today. Great conversation. Yeah. So no, this you. this was fun. I really enjoyed the chance to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research articles and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.